this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I'm just, I'm going to try and pick my jaw up off the floor, just about all, just all the ways that God has shown just how intimately he knows Kat, who, who wasn't at church before, who wasn't, but, but he knows her, it's all over her, and, and he's totally on her case, bless you, thank you so much for sharing that, because it just inspires me to worship, worship God even more, thank you so much, wow, um, uh, we are going to welcome up uh, Rupert to, to share God's word to us. So looking forward uh, to, to what he's going to bring for us. And um, if you are in uh, Rooted, uh, now, now's the time that you can leave and Rupert will not take it personally. Uh, uh, but we've got some teaching for you going on downstairs as well. So uh, bless you, man, as you bring this to us. Thank you. That's just so thrilling, isn't it, just to hear, thank you Kat and Naomi for sharing that. And uh, it's wonderful, isn't it, God's perfect love casts out fear. And I just, um, I, just, I was thinking of mentioning it at the end, but I'll just mention it briefly now. As we were worshipping, as we sang the line in one of the penultimate songs that said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, I felt that there might be some people here who do feel actually separated. And you might have some form of faith, or you might actually not be a believer and I felt God's, uh, I had this picture almost of someone sort of hunched up, uh, like in a, in a shack, in a wood almost. And uh, it was very dark and very gloomy, but there were these piercing white uh, rays of light coming through. And I felt like you uh, had this hesitancy to look at the light because it was blinding. And that's understandable. But I felt God's encouragement to you was that uh, he wants you to throw open the door. Because your eyesight will adjust. Because that blinding light is where you belong. Our testimony, and as we've heard testimony from Cap, is that uh, as Christians, he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And uh, that's not what I'm going to be speaking on. But if you feel that that is you, and you feel that you're in, in that sort of dark, gloomy shack, and you, you, you can't, the light's too much, then I want you to open that door. Your light will readjust, your eyes will readjust, um, because it's where you belong. Okay, so, this morning, uh, we are, the, the, my remit was to look at uh, quite a widespread of scripture from the end of chapter 9 through to uh, almost the end of chapter 10. But I'm just going to be focusing on Three verses, and uh, if we may, David, have the next slide. Thanks so much. So feel free to read along. It's on the screen. If you've got your own Bibles, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete 
exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father God, we thank you that you have qualified us uh, to be in your kingdom of light, to be part of this race, which ends in the most wonderful, the most amazing of destinations, you yourself and the kingdom of heaven. And I just ask that you would be with us, that you would continue speaking to us in your love this morning, that we would receive what you have for us and that you'd enable me to communicate it clearly. Amen. So picture with me. The sun is shining overhead. A few clouds sail slowly across the blue sky. Our gaze travels downwards to white lines painted on green grass. Earnest faces looking out, hearts racing as they await the starter's orders. On your marks, set, go! An explosion of movement, arms pumping, legs driving, cheers erupting all around. The line is all that matters, legs driving, arms pumping, line getting closer, others around fading away. Keep driving, keep pumping, lungs are on fire, the finish is closer still, someone on your shoulder, push on, dig deep, give it your all, and you're there. Breath ragged, fall to your knees, can't think, doesn't matter, the joy of the race fills you. Hands clapping on the back, words of congratulations, someone helps you to stand, your head whirling with delight and relief. Many of us have experienced a moment like this. Some have had the privilege of looking on as children exult in the thrill of the race. After the intensity of the competition comes the celebration of the victor, the presentation of medals. Due recognition for all the hard work that's gone in beforehand. All those countless decisions about what to eat and when to train, those invitations declined and and exercised, training regimes prioritised, all of that suddenly seems worthwhile. Sporting imagery is frequently used in teaching, and here Paul uses it uh, to simply and effectively refocus the Corinthian church. By lightening the demands of his apostolic work and his single-minded focus to further spread the gospel to this athletic endeavour, He's using a contemporary vehicle to convey his message. We've heard a lot about Corinth over this series, how it was a breeding ground for so much that we might think of as, as license and so much that we see uh, familiar in the, in, the, in the world around us. But it was also the location of the biennial Isthmian Games, which were second in fame only to the Olympic Games. So a modern equivalent might be the World Championships in terms of prestige and ranking. And although the Isthmian Games have faded from prominence and certainly current memory, the poignancy and effectiveness of such an athletic metaphor is just as powerful nowadays as it was then. Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians and to us is run that you may obtain the prize. So first off, he says run, not amble or dawdle or meander or stroll, but run. I think his choice of this running metaphor is an encouragement not just to finish strong when we reach our goal, but also to be dynamic throughout the race. It's incumbent on us that in our journey with Christ, there will be movement 
activity, progression towards our eventual destination, God himself and heaven. This is corroborated elsewhere in scripture. As we're called to grow in maturity and knowledge of God in Hebrews 6, let us leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity. And in Ephesians 4, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're also called to be productive and bear fruit in Colossians 1, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in Mark 4, those words of God that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So, this idea of movement, of growth, is an implicit part of our lives as Christians. But I'm not suggesting that following after Jesus is going to be a flat-out sprint for the rest of our lives. Non-stop prayer meetings, fasting, outreach, pastoral care, doing that non-stop would probably lead to burnout. Even with the best heart in the world, we would probably burn out. We are called to imitate our creator and rest to allow our minds, our bodies and souls to replenish and renew. So the pace of the Christian life might be more closely likened to a marathon rather than a sprint. We hear that phrase, don't we? You know, Life's a marathon, not a sprint. But it is true. And we have to hold that in mind. Because endurance, perseverance are all virtues that we're called to develop. Now, There may be seasons, and you might be in one of these right now, where you just need to just sit on the bench for a while. Or maybe, if we take the metaphor further, to just see the physio, to help recover from an illness or an injury. And that's fine. I don't want anyone to feel any form of guilt if that's the season you're in. That's not my intent, and I don't think it's Paul's. But what he's encouraging, and what he's urging those of us who are able to do, is to conduct our lives in such a way that will enable us to finish strong, that we might receive all of the blessing that comes from union with Christ. I expect you know, brothers and sisters out there, who just seem to have slowed down, who seem becalmed or just kind of treading water. They're not really going anywhere. And by that I don't mean, you know, leaving Derby. I just mean they don't really seem to be developing or maturing. They're in a state of inertia, just doing nothing. Now, if you've known Jesus for a while, it might also be true that that's something that you've experienced or are experiencing right now. And it might be something that you've felt on more than one occasion. You know, I've spoken about a distinct phase in the past when I felt that I'd become stagnant. It can creep up on all of us if we're not vigilant. So this is what Paul is compelling us to do. To guard our hearts, to refocus our vision, to emulate his single-minded pursuit of Jesus, to take captive every thought and just recalibrate our lives around the one who loves us and who gave his life for us. So, if I might slightly modify the, uh, the quote, run, not amble, that you may obtain the prize. The second thing I'd like us to consider are decisions. Decisions. 
In verse 25, Paul says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Some of the most uh, frequent updates, and personally some of the ones that I found the most interesting, uh, were from the recent Rio Olympics uh, in 2016, were snippets of conversations with competitors whose event had taken place and who were able to cut loose from the strict regimes that they'd willingly undergone. So these updates, or uh, perhaps tidbits might be more appropriate, reveal the remarkable level of discipline that athletes at elite level demonstrate during training for competition. So, in the aftermath, once their goal had been reached, the presenters quizzed them what they'd be having from various fast food establishments around the athlete's village. Little wonder, perhaps, that after all that restraint, months and years, the athletes went to blitz out at McDonald's. Other fast food providers are, of course, available. <laughs> My My point is that up to a point, up to that point, athletes deny themselves the pleasures of certain foods so that they'll be able to perform better. They choose to consume what will most benefit their body's recovery and strengthening. They prioritise rest so that their bodies can heal and repair. So, if we continue with Paul's metaphor... If we choose to see ourselves as sharing his goal of winning people to faith in the gospel, as we heard um, in the previous section, it was verses 19 to 23 of chapter 9, that I might win more, that by all means I might save some, then we've got to adopt a similar athletic mindset. Now, you might not be feeling like the most athletic of people, more it's about a mindset, it's about an approach as to how you consider things, how you filter evaluate and make decisions. So we're called not just to consider actually the fuel that we put in our bodies, although that is part of it, but also what other appetites we indulge and limit. What we watch, listen to, who and what we give our time and energies to. This is why Paul goes on in verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body And I keep it under control. I've got to ask, do you know that you are the master of your own body? You are the mistress of it. You can, by the grace of God, choose what you do with it, what you put in it, where you take it, and how you occupy your time. And... Folks, if that just seems really obvious, I I feel compelled to just mention it because there is so much out there. And if we don't steer a course, we can just be blown along with the next current of whatever it is that flits in front of us or pops up on our screens and takes our attention. Because we live in a culture where increasingly, even more and more, services, products and leisure is on demand. You want something the next day? Click and pay for it. You missed a film at the cinema? Stream it over the net. Craving your favourite food. You can, and this staggers me, you can pay a premium and a cyclist will deliver it from a restaurant, whether it's a takeaway or not, notwithstanding, and bring it to your door. Wow. Part of me is quite tempted to do that one day. I'm not sure I want to pay all that you have to for that um, elite service, but there we go. There's so much option out there. 
There's so much freedom, so much license. But what Paul's saying, and his example, and by implication, what he's endorsing to Corinth, or what he's endorsing to Corinth, and what we can do here in Jubilee, is not to avail ourselves of every opportunity, but rather to mindfully select what we do. To live our lives in light of the cross of Christ and to run with purpose and focus. These things. I I feel that they're possibly the sharpest double-edged sword of our current climate. They're immensely useful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against them. I've got one. Even if I hold it upside down. (laughs) They're immensely useful. We've got sat-nav, instant messages, Bible apps. You've got Skype and FaceTime that can link family and friends across cities and continents. But I think we all know this. They can easily be possibly the biggest source of distraction in our lives as well. Social media, games, and probably there's more, more things out there than I know what to do with mine. Now, none of those things, social media or games, are inherently wrong. I'm, I'm a big fan of actually, it's, it's like a Scrabble kind of game and, you know, I can even justify it away. I even say, you know, it helps keep me mentally agile, you know, sharpen the faculties and broaden and vary my vocabulary. I can, I can justify it away. We all can for those things we love. But the problem is, if we don't practice self-control, it can consume our leisure time and lead us away from even more valuable, even more helpful and beneficial ways of spending it. Without wanting to preface too much uh, the next preach in our series, we've got to consider if what we're giving our time to is helpful. More than just, is it okay to do as a Christian, but is it actually helpful for us? Is Is it drawing us into a closer relationship with God, experiencing and understanding more of his wonderful, awesome love that we've been singing about this morning? I've got to ask you the question, have you become distracted? The reason I have to ask you that is because God asked me that a few weeks ago in worship. He spoke in in saying, what are you giving your time to? I was sat down over there, I think, and I just had my diary there and I just started to sort of jot down. And as I jotted it down, I realised, oh crikey, all revolves around this thing. Basically, I realised whenever I had a free moment, I would just flick onto a social media app and just idly browse away. So I felt, well, if, that, if that's what I'm doing at every single free opportunity, I feel I need to change that. That's becoming a bit too compulsive, a bit too habitual. So I've uninstalled the app, and I'm going to try and practice more self-control. I've decided that I'll only want to go on it at certain times in the day, and I'm going to use either my tablet, uh, well, it's actually my wife's tablet, so uh, access is limited. And... <laughs> Not because she's not kind, but she uses it for her work and that sort of thing. So, um, and uh, or via a web browser on the uh, on the laptop. So that, that's that's my choice. And actually, during this week, um, Graham drew my attention to a really superb article by Tony Reinke, um on DesiringGod.org, and it's called 30, 30 Seconds Alone with God." And it speaks into this and a sort of a, a bigger picture view of the topic. I'm really hopeful. I'll have a word with David. Maybe we'll be able to share it through our own social media. See, it's useful. It can be used for really good things as well. Um, and I'd really commend it to you to have a read of it. Uh, just a couple of points, just to whet your appetite, as it were. 
it mentions specifically those spare moments that I felt God speaking to me about, those little cracks of time is the phrase he uses, in our day. But it really helpfully had a suggestion of what we might replace our digital activity with. In those moments, you know, transitioning from one task to another, you know, just sent that email, oh, I need to go and do this. In, in, that, in that sort of in-between space, the question we are asked to consider is, are we going to be looking down you know, for amusement, entertainment, information, that sort of thing? Or might we look up in those rare, empty moments of silence to focus our attention on God himself? Charles Spurgeon, one of the most respected and esteemed preachers um, in the history of Christianity, shared this secret with a close friend. I always feel it well just to put a few words of prayer between everything I do. And it makes sense. In Philippians, we're invited to bring all of our petitions, no matter how big or small, before God. And praying without ceasing might become a reality as we intersperse our day with prayer rather than tweets, as we incline our hearts upward to the eternal rather than downward to the temporary. So, the article does a really superb job of persuasively reasoning this regard. I'd well worth your time reading it. Um, but one thing, there's just one thing I'd like to mention, speaking of time. There's a really helpful visual um, that I'd like us just to look at for a moment. David, can we have it up there? Great. Oh, it's easily big enough. There was I. Okay, great. Uh, thanks to Tim for the provision of this laser pen, pointing away from... Yeah, good. So, um, <laughs> what comes with a huge yellow health warning. Don't point it in people's eyes, so... I'm Shooting that way. Right, um, so basically, for the US, these figures are for the US, and as it says at the top, how much time, on average, per adult, per day, they spend on devices and the like, okay? Of all sorts. You've got your traditional ones at the bottom, live TV, okay? The next layer up, I mean, I can let you read for yourselves, uh, the orange is uh, time-shifted TV. I think we call that... Um, there's TiVo, is that the phrase? I haven't got one. There's, you record it and watch it later. All the other ones, thin layers in between DVD, video, uh, video game console, multimedia, and then we get up to some significant ones. Significant ones sorry. Uh, multimedia, devices, smartphone in red, and in the purple, the tablet. And I haven't found it actually for the UK, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that this, these figures would be pretty similar for us. And what really, I guess, alarmed me, if I'm being honest, because I am one of these users, is the increase, even between on the year on year, that going from an hour average on a day spent on a smartphone becoming uh, over an hour and a half, and 20 minutes on the tablet up to 30. Now, you might just think, well, that's okay, that's not so bad, half an hour extra, I can spare that. But what we notice, if you look at the bit down here, is that that extra time spent on the smartphone does not, is, is not been taken away from any of the other ways that we spend our free time, you know, TV, radio, and that sort of thing. So, in essence, it's grabbing more of our attention, but it's subtracting it and draining it from our finite resource of time. It must mean that time is being taken away from other areas like study, or work, or exercise, 
even sleep to enable us to use our phones. Right, if we kill the kill the light, David, if we can take that down now. Thanks so much. So look, <clears throat> I'm not saying the bad things, but I am saying that they can creep upon us and demand even more of our time and attention than perhaps we should be giving to them, especially if it's taking it away from things that are valuable to us. You know, our attention and what we give it to matters. In the Bible, God people God's people are called to take heed. You know, that's that's urgent attention over eighty times. So God wants your attention. If we look back in verse 4, I feel this is particularly um, uh, helpful to us in terms of when we think about uh, the parable of the sower. You know, we know those, there are those seeds that are sown on the rocky path. You know, people's hearts are too close, they don't even receive it. And the enemy just whisks them away. Uh, there are those um, that uh, don't really put down roots. And so eventually they wither and die. But it, it was this part of the, uh, of the parable of the sower in Mark 4. And it says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So that, that stuff, sorry, not the word, <laughs> the smartphone uses, device uses, it can be really good, but it can also choke, stifle the life of God and the word of God at work in our hearts and cause us not to bear fruit which is the very thing that God wants for us. So I ask, and I ask this because I have felt that I have been, have you become distracted? If your focus is not as sharp as it was, if you've lost that single-minded pursuit of God and his kingdom, there's grace for you. And in his grace, you can make some decisions to regain it. You know, we'd love to pray with you afterwards if, if that's how you feel. So, the next thing to consider with the running is the reward. Now, as an athlete, all of that self-control, that sacrifice, it's got to be worth it to be able to hold up that medal which symbolises their accomplishment. A friend of mine from university went on to compete in last year's Olympics. She was in one of the rowing crews. It was the women's eight that took the silver medal. There was a, a reunion celebration later in the summer, just to honour her and celebrate her. And uh, at that, she very generously asked if I wanted to see the medal. I was like, yes, <laughs> I want to see an Olympic medal. Wow, of course. You only ever see them on TV and they're, you know, like that big. I said, yeah, I want to see a medal. But I was literally blown away when she asked if I wanted to put it on. Now, I've not got some sort of, hopefully, uh, overemphasis on the value of an Olympic medal. You know, um, five years ago, before the uh, Olympic torch was being taken around the country, uh, it actually came in and called in at some schools. And perhaps if you're a school teacher, you, you know, you might have had that opportunity to see it. And uh, it came into our school. And uh, yeah, you bet you I, I stood there, posed for the photo like millions of other people have done. I wasn't one of the official runners on telly. I'm not saying that, but, you know, it came to the school. I thought, Great. Wow. It's heavy. Big. Wonderful. But when it came to Mel's silver medal, I just felt it was wrong. I felt it was wrong because only she had earned it. David, can we just show? Yep. There. No, we might need to go back. There she is. There's Mel. 
That's a sil- I mean, look at it. Fantastic. There we go. That's a silver medal. <laughs> you laugh, but our friend had made a little kind of tribute thing out of tinfoil, which is what this kind of strange... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not down with the bling. <laughs> I can't carry that off. But that's what I'm wearing. And that is the real deal, folks. That is the silver medal. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, David. That's Mel. Fantastic. You know, so, so thrilled for her. Other of my friends, they had none of those qualms. They're like, yeah, of course we're going to put it on. Of course we you know, wear that around their neck. But I, I just felt it was wrong. In Paul's day, athletes wouldn't have received a medal. They'd have received a wreath which was actually just as prestigious in that area, a wreath of of leaves. But the thing is, both wreaths and medals are perishable. Wreaths wither, and medals are melted down or can be stolen. And as Christians, we've got a bigger remit and a far bigger prize. It's imperishable, as Paul calls it. For Paul, the wreath, his joy and crown of boasting, are the congregations of believers that he visited, tens, and wrote to, all so that he might build them up in the love of God. You know, we could imagine Jeremy Simpkins. He's got apostolic oversight of Christ Central, which is the family of churches that Jubilee is part of. We can imagine him feeling similarly towards us. And Graham, our, our Graham, serves alongside Jeremy on the core team that leads Christ Central, caring just as deeply as Jeremy, maybe perhaps even more so as he you know, planted the church. We can picture the two of them on the final day of Jesus' coming, wearing Jubilee, both as the labour of love that they've worked to establish and the crown that they will wear. So you might be sat there thinking, okay, so that's just for them. Do do I have a role to play? Do we have a role to play? You know, I felt it was right to refuse to put on Mel's medal to wear it because I had no part in earning it. I'd not worked for it. I hadn't made any of the sacrifices that she made, I just didn't deserve it. Call me funny afters if you want, but that's that's the angle I was approaching. But if we're going to turn our hearts, if we choose to turn our hearts to building Jubilee, to establishing Burton, on that final day, when the apostles are displaying, like medals, like wreaths, the families of churches they've nurtured, we can share in that accomplishment. We can proudly wear it with them. As we will have contributed to it, we will truly have been co-laborers with Christ. We will lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and, and thieves can't break in and steal. Do you want a part of that? An eternal inheritance? I know I do. Maybe not in the race yet. Maybe you feel that, you know, you've been sat in the darkness, but... This is something that's just speaking to your heart. More on that later. You can have a part of this. There's a lot of things, however, that could derail us from that goal. They could form the basis of a preach or a series of preaches in themselves. In fact, Graham and others spoke a lot about those rocks, those boulders that impede the flow of the Spirit um, last year. But as I was praying and getting ready for this, I didn't really feel uh, that God wanted to uh, say about the things that would stop us so much as unity. And I, I've got to be honest, I was, uh, I, was, I was swimming, actually, as it happened at the time, and I thought, unity? What, what has that got to do with the passage? It didn't really seem obvious to me, certainly not until you get further on. Oh, can we take Mel's face down? 
yeah, she's fab, but I don't think we need to be thinking about that right now. Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, I, yeah, it, it comes, God talks a bit more about unity uh, towards the end of chapter 10. I thought, well, what is it you want to say? But I feel that it's a reminder that, yes, he wants us to finish the race strongly, but that unity is so key in that. Because the fact is, although we do have a personal relationship with God, we are not just individuals running solitary races. We're a community on the move. In that excerpt in Colossians, um, before Paul tells the church in order to reach the riches of the full understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, he says their hearts need be knit together in love. And we read from before in Ephesians, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Without unity, we won't mature, not fully, and we won't reach all that God has for us. It's in our joint participation. It's in our building up, encouraging and exhorting one another, in loving one another as Christ loved us, that we demonstrate to onlookers that God is real and that Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. Now I've read this out before, but I love the part in John 17 where Jesus prays and he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. It's our unity that witnesses to a broken world of lost people that Jesus is renewing creation and that they may believe that God the Father sent him. So, run in unity that you may obtain the prize. The final thing I'd like us to consider before we come to a close is whether we actually believe that God wants us to obtain the prize. We can sometimes think, we might have thought hearing, and I hope this hasn't come across, but you might think that he's just a task marker, a task masker. He's just a kind of a drill sergeant, being like, rah, 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 till you're exhausted and sort of wearily flop across the line. I, I hope that hasn't come across. But you could be thinking that. And as I watch the footage of Mel winning her medal, there's one moment which gladdened my heart, and it was just as much as her victory. After the race, she went over to the crowd of spectators and just saw these strong arms just reach out and envelop her. And I just felt that there was something so wonderful in the Father's embrace. I feel there may be a a couple of people today, actually, um, who God would want them to experience afresh the wonder of his embrace. To be renewed in his promises and his affection for them. And I, I, I actually, um, I had the name Julia. I don't know if there is a Julia or more than one Julia here today. Um, if, if you are here and your name is Julia, then I feel God would want to just bless you, um, just to really let you know the wonder of his embrace. And we'll ask some ladies to to pray with you and for you to feel comfortable in that and um, 
yeah, so I, I trust that that will bless you. You know, I never asked what he said, what Mel's father said to her. I just felt like that's a moment between the two of them. I told her, I said, that moved me so profoundly. I think she was just like, well, it's just a hug from my dad, you know. But for me, the moment was so beautiful because the father was sharing in the delight and satisfaction of her victorious goal. The culmination of years of training, self-control, prioritising her goal above everything else. And you see, the father is cheering us on. He gave his son to make us his children. He provides for us daily and forever. He sings over us in love. He is slow to anger and rich in steadfast mercy. He is jealous for us, for our attention. He wants our unity to demonstrate that he alone is the creator of the universe and that he alone is worthy of our praise. Now, I I want a part of that. I know that what I want to hear the Father say as I fall into his embrace, as I cross the line, is well done, good and faithful friend. So, to conclude, where do we go from here? How can we consider responding to this? You know, as the stakes rise, so does the prize. For us who follow after Jesus, there's no greater prize than running into his embrace, to being in his presence, and part of his eternal kingdom. He's qualified us to take part in a race that we would never have been eligible for. So we've got the choice. How are we going to participate in it? You know, in a moment, I'm going to ask Paul to share. He's felt also God speaking to him about a few things that might help us consider how we respond. There's just a few, a few sort of different groups of people I think this might help. You know, if you do feel motionless, there is hope. You know, the state of inertia, of, of lack of movement, only changes when an external force is brought to it. And actually, the Holy Spirit is no mere force. He's the third person of the Godhead who will change us from within, who will impel us, breathe fresh life into us if we allow him to. If you know you've been distracted, allow him to fill your gaze and flood your heart with love. As the hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look for his wonderful face and the things on earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And perhaps, perhaps you are feeling like unity is the last thing you want. Maybe you feel hurt or disenchanted. Let that prayer of Jesus wash over you. The glory you've given me, I've given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Maybe you've got some forgiving to do today. That's holding you back from being united. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness from someone. I've just, I've just got to urge you folks, be swift to do both. Let no root of bitterness take hold. Because as a people, we need to have that unity. And maybe maybe it's just the Father's embrace you need to experience afresh. And if that's you and you have felt you're in a dark place and you know, you just, you just need that, then we'd love to pray for you. You know, there's, there's nothing um, particularly special about coming down the front if you're responding to prayer. It's just a step of faith that says, actually, this matters to me. I want more of him. I want to respond. I, I, I want to experience more of God. And it just helps us just to pray for you. So in a moment, I don't know if the band could uh, give us maybe one more song. Is that all right, Rachel? 
If that's you, then feel free to stay where you are. If you don't feel comfortable, you can just allow, uh, maybe have a word with the person you came with and ask them to pray for you. But if you do feel like you want to run that race, you want to experience the Father's encouragement and embrace on your life, then do come forward and we'd love to, to help you with that. Sunday morning.